Hi, I'm John Stevens. This is Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy. This is Pod Have Mercy. Well, Cleve, welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. I'm glad you're settling into Richmond, Virginia. I've only been through Richmond a couple of times. I know not much about it at all. Historical (laughs) stuff, but not really anything beyond that. And you just started, uh, or you're starting a brand new job, right? Tell us about that. Yeah, so I have uh, two new assignments here, appointments here. One at one is an administrative appointment as uh, the director for the Center for African American History and Culture. And I'm also starting as a faculty member here as an assistant professor of religion and Africana studies here. And so it's exciting times. Good to be here outside of the pandemic, of course. <laughs> and the school is uh, Virginia Union? Virginia Union University, founded in 1865, right after the Civil War. Yeah. Uh, as an interesting history. It's called Virginia Union because it's the coming together of two historical seminaries, Richmond Theological Seminary, which was founded in an old place here called Lumpkin's Jail, where many slavers were held. And also there's a Wayland Seminary, which was in Washington, D.C., combined with a women's college college called Longshorn and then Storer College out of West Virginia. And so around 1899, they all federated and formed what's now called Virginia Union as a co-ed institution. So it has a deep and rich, rich history. Uh, and so it's exciting to kind of join with that and figure that out in, in this moment in history. That's great. And you still got connections to Houston. Lanicia still... Heck connected. yeah, he has connections to Houston. Well, <laughs> well, I I didn't mean you have connections. I, I know you, you got connections. Tim, Robert, to drive up you and gotta, get you. You got to ease your way into that. Yeah, I understand. <laughs> Some of us still have a little resentment. Well, I, <laughs> I, little I, abandonment issues. The, yeah, the point I meant was he's not like left no. and gone. He's no. still connected here. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, look, at least he's here with me now, but she'll be journeying back right after Labor Day and. uh I'll be coming back uh, mid-September for a bit and for a while. So, yeah, we'll be back and forth. I still have other commitments there, pastoral and otherwise. Of course, me and Matt are still co-conspirators in a range of things. And so, uh, yeah, I'm just, like I tell people, I just have work in another city now. But I've always had work in other cities, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I think Russell will go through withdrawal symptoms I have if you been. stay gone yeah, too long. I have Russell been. does not take abandonment separation well. I do not. <laughs> and I've had a lot of it this last month, dude. So, you know, it's like, you know. <laughs> well, thank God for right. Zoom. Although Zoom is, yeah. I'm getting Zoom fatigued. I think I need like real human interaction. Yeah. Like yeah. when we hang, right. when we hung out at the. Having having wine, I'm like God. I need yeah, more. I, I, yeah, that was great. I think that was the last social interaction I had with people. I think for that a was while. great. I just, you mm-hmm. realize how much you miss that. Yeah, you know, and yeah. how important it is in yeah. your life. Yeah. And we uh, last week we talked to somebody, uh, Robert Hilker Jr., around kind of mental health and the pandemic. And uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I think one of the fallouts of this is people are just gonna it's you know, it's going to take a, a long time for some folks to kind of build up the resiliency of their mind and spirit again, you know, whatever's on the other side of this, you know, yeah. I think there's just I think a, so. a toll. Also, I think we have to be empathic and compassionate towards to those who are not fortunate enough to have be partnered or yes. have large families, those who are isolated, literally, right? A lot of those right. who are, um, again, unpartnered, are, are really going through a time. But a lot of people are going through time of withdrawals. I mean, even though it's okay for people who are more introverted like myself, uh, even I desire connection at times as well. And so it's, it's a, these are interesting new times. It sure is. It sure is. Yeah. Well, we've been diving into Howard Thurman. I have uh, really enjoyed it, and I've I've got a lot of other stuff to read, but the we were aligning around disciplines of the spirit, thinking about non mm. non traditional disciplines in this series of volatile times we find ourselves. And I, I, I'm surprised, you know. I, I guess I, in my growth and learning, I've always known about Howard Thurman. I've read a lot of quotes or excerpts, but I've never really like dived in fully to his work. And so I know I've got a much broader swath to uh, yeah. to intersect yeah. with. 
but the disciplines, being someone who had some connection in history and contemplative spirituality, especially the Desert Fathers, there's a lot mm-hmm. of that resonating in in Thurman. But I hear you are the resident like expert on Howard Thurman, so I'm hoping you can bring me up to speed on all the all the stuff that I really need to know. <laughs> I'm not sure if expert is the right term. I just think uh, Thurman has always been a compelling figure for me. One, not only be, for two reasons, not only because of the mystical tradition and consciousness that he embodied, but also two, uh, the way that he really engaged in what I think of as a kind of hopeful tradition, hopeful survival tradition, not only of African-Americans, but of all of us, yeah. this constant striving to find unity amongst difference, even recognizing his own plight. Interesting story. So he's from, uh, from Florida there, right, from the area of Florida. And it's interesting, Daytona Beach, Florida. And the interesting story in his biography is, is, is helpful. Like he talks about at a young age, well, he was a little older, but a young uh, white girl stuck him with a needle. He, and she began to ask him questions about did he feel it or not, talking about how this one instance struck to the court of how throughout history these uh, folks have thought of uh, black persons as being kind of like impenetrable or some experience, like there was no pain. And the way that, that Thurman chose to go about the rest of his life to deal with this uh, using mysticism was, was amazing to me. I mean, he went uh, to Morehouse College. He spent uh, inordinate amounts of time in the library, uh, ended up going to Boston Theological School, but ended up leaving Boston to start his own church in San Francisco a reconciling church and he's famous for standing up in the pulpit and just gazing for 10 minutes at a time and the whole church ended up breaking out in a frenzy by him doing nothing but standing there <laughs> he had the ability to look wow. at things like solitude <laughs> wisdom and stature so if you're going through the disciplines one of my favorite book uh, there's meditation he has on there on, on through the coming years that really matches like psalm 90 in the bible he has another thing in there uh, where he talks uh, about wisdom and stature, the meaning of solitude. Yeah. And so he was a deeply um, meditative uh, man. He also was a person who I thought had great deep spiritual strength um, and had an amazing ability to kind of tap into what I call the kind of spiritual genius of black folk, which yeah. I mean is uh, there's a conversation recently uh, between Amani Perry and Mark, Mark Lamont Hill, who had a podcast out recently. And they talked about... Uh, the type of intuitive genius of black folk. She has this autobiography out now to call Breathe to Her Black Sons. And she begins to explain to them like a kind of spiritual depth that Thurman definitely would, uh, I think, represent and code embody for black folk, meaning uh, the ability to kind of intuit not only the biases that one has to encounter through any kind of social space and interaction, but then the ability to negotiate that while at the same time entering into conversations, right? And Thurman just really was able through Jesus and disinherited, through disciplines of the spirit. Uh, but through his life, I think what touches you more than anything, uh, be able to kind of deal negotiate both the racial tensions that existed during his time, but also seek to kind of say, listen, there is a kind of common ground here. There's reason to have hope. For one, uh, we've always had the hope to survive. Hope has to kind of keep us going. But at the same time, I think what I really appreciate most about Thurman was Thurman's ability to seek unity amidst that, right? That there had to be enough common ground and some kind of spiritual standing on which we can stand and kind of and relate to each other on. So, so for many reasons, yeah, Howard has always been a giant of a hero for me. Mm. He also seems to be able to hold a lot of tension within, like it's, it, it, it's he's able to hold pain and hope. I'm, I'm reading through, I stole uh, a book um, out of your library before you left. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that I've been putting to use his meditations, and I'm I'm really I'm working through that slowly, um, mm-hmm. um, because because I have to because it feels like it's super dense, um, yeah. and that his language 
his language is is a throwback to you know kind of early nineteenth twentieth uh, century rather, but but it's more than that. It's more than the language. It's really seems to be carved out of human experience in a way that isn't trying to get me to go somewhere, but it's trying right. to do something inside. I don't, I don't know how to explain that, but but it seems very. Uh, he's hold, he holds he holds pain and hope in a way that is is amazing to me you know yeah. um I, I think you're right man i think i think the meditations are intentionally written for you to take your time with them you have to read them over and over again because you're right they're not meant to just uh glibly read through them they're meant for you to kind of pause and reflect upon the words because his meditations come not just from his own deep uh kind of spiritual life the way he carved out me but also a way that he reflects on his own experiences, his own kind of time of introspection. And you can, and they ooze through each of those meditations in ways that's worth our yeah. our thorough consideration. Yeah. So like, yeah, like I told you, like I told you when you were stealing it from me. Yeah, man, I, I was that's how you read that is as a devotion. I read that as a devotion. I miss my book. You need to send it back to me. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta come back to Houston to get it. <laughs> 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 the, the other thing I, I I'm amazed at I when you said that you know he stood there in front of the congregation for ten minutes just you know and people experience and encounter the Holy Spirit in a really significant way like he actually believes in Jesus. Oh yeah, like oh, yeah. The, this is Inter- like, yeah. It's a very interesting story too, by the way. It's coming back to me in memory because there's another book he has called Head and Heart, I think, that I used uh, when teaching a, a course on mysticism. You should read this passage where he narrates how that happens, where he ends up leaving his deanship, I think, in Boston, going to San Francisco. That was back in the 50s, I think. He grew up in Daytona Beach in the 20s. So now let's fast forward to the 50s. He had a huge influence on people like King and other folk. But in the 50s, and this is important, I think, especially for us as clerics to think through, he was actually recruited by some white clerics in San Francisco who had some money or or had some fun and says, you know what? Uh, we don't need to be pastoring this church, right? We need to support someone else. And so they recruited Thurman and said, listen, we're going to support you, provide the salary, whatever. But look, you be the visionary for this, right? And so he joins this multi-ethnic kind of congregational thing. And Thurman believed immensely in like, yo, okay, if God, if, if the Christ essentially is embodied in his congregation, then we have to do things differently. And I think he's an interesting study because uh, no other study on a minister or someone who's involved in civil rights really equates to Thurman. He was distinctly unique and it's why he's been labeled as this, I mean, there are plenty of mystics in tradition, but he's been labeled, frankly, as being this mystic because of his ability um, to really entrance a range of populations in his congregation. And not much study has been, well, there are some studies, but I think there needs to be deeper studies on, on that congregation, how and when it existed, how it came about. Because uh, I only tangentially read through it and found it to be quite striking. And I think uh, Thurman has a lot to teach us about um, the inner life and kind of how that kind of resonates with one as they try to move through the world. So I think he, whenever I read Thurman, I think it challenges me to be a better person, one, but also to take this kind of uh, spiritual life much more seriously or right? he had a depth and insight into the spiritual interior life in a way that i think we all can learn from and yeah. grow from yeah the the thing that struck me as i'm now diving into it and i think about contemplatives that i've read previously whether it's roar or going back or merton before that or even mm-hmm. you go back into the early church with the the abbas and the amas the desert fathers and mothers there's mm-hmm. just this long line of christian mystical experience that resonates it and, and there's a part of me that i and i can't read thurman you know we all come in with our eyes uh. and i know you know who he is at least enough to know his connections and where he comes from his experience that particular part and so when i read i guess i'm looking for um i'm looking for how to to read it differently and yet i find this resonating like mm. deep foundational thing that is explicitly and implicitly true in my life and in everyone's life. And when he talks about 
commitment and intentionality, when he talks about time, when he talks about wisdom and stature and identity, who are you, who am I, Mm -hmm. what do I want, and how do I get what I want? Mm. And I'm looking at these things and I'm thinking, this stuff is so real and relevant. Yeah. Like right now in the times we find ourselves, that just speaks to some sort of divine um, aspect to what he he brought and all of these mystical writers and thinkers brought because there's something timeless that connects the threads of all of our humanity together. And so it was not at all what I thought it was going to be, the disciplines. Now, um, it it was like picking up, I don't know, it, it, there's just an eternal aspect to it. And it, it challenged me in my own thing, but I'm also resonating by how I lay over what he says in these, 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 uh, these experience, these disciplines, I'm laying over where we are now and I'm thinking, this is the gospel message to every single one of us for all of these things we're going through, whether it's racial division or pandemic or uh, politics or or anything. If you're looking for a sense of groundedness, this is where he invites you uh, into this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I say all that just just like, I'm really really digging it. (laughs) No, I think, think, John, uh, what you're speaking to is what this, you know, this notion we tried to all get at when we were in seminary, right? This notion of transcendence. When you read through Thurman, you do, you do seem to like resonate with this notion of, hey, there's something here that uh, seems a bit transcendent, right? There's a particular language and community that informs his thought and his writing and his reflections. But I also sense a deep resonance with something that, like you're saying, John, resonates with Teresa of Avila, all these early church desert fathers, all these folks who have been mystics, right? This the deep longing and sense of connection in Thurman, that there was something guiding uh, him forward, guiding him beyond, guiding him even within community in ways that's peculiar. And I agree with you there, with both you and Matt, in saying that there's something about Thurman that really just strikes me as being a bit unique against uh, when, when I read other kind of like least cultural heroes of mine that I've, I've read through. Yeah. 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 I've, um, I found, um, him to, and I remember at least when you introduced me to him a couple years back at a time in your life where you were, um, there, there was almost a, a real desire that you were looking for a deeper voice that would be echoing back out of something. And I remember being with you and, and you reading out of his meditation, some things that really, um, continue to resonate um, with within my own life as 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 we look like even in our community at placing his uh, his writings central to some of the ways we'll understand the disciplines in this kind of time that we're in. Like, what mm-hmm. are some of the disciplines um, as you look at it as both a as an academic and as a fellow struggler and as a pastor, what are some of the disciplines that the church needs to be cultivating in this time? So, yeah, I love the way you phrased that because until recently, when I got in Richmond, I began to think across these, I guess, vocations, if you will, right? These kind of meaningful engagements and work in the world that also ties deeply to a kind of sense, a larger sense of belonging and transcendence. And what I've come to, um, appreciate is that Thurman really, I think, embodies a kind of mindfulness, right? We might think of it as uh, meditation and prayer in our tradition, our Christian tradition, uh, type of mindfulness and meditation and type of connectedness, embodied connection, right? There's a way that Thurman was never disconnected from uh, being aware of some presence, right? I think for me now, what Thurman represents, and I think when you and I use the text, Earlier, you know, some of those personal turmoil. I was grappling with, hey, Matt, like, you know, I'm tired. I don't know why I'm doing this. I don't know why I'm doing anything. Anymore. In fact, Matt, I'm just tired of everything, right? <laughs> and I think what I really was grappling with and what Thurman helped me recognize is that Thurman's meditation throughout his life, he seemed to be grappling with the something more, yes. meaning regardless of what I'm doing, regardless of what my tasks are, there's a deeper groaning for a connection to this, this, this more or who I, who I really am in this world. And so I find practices now that are really helpful for me and that I think we all think about, but sometimes we might forget. I realize that if I can do my 
mindfulness and meditation in the morning, which for me, of course, involves prayer and meditation and a reading practice, including the scriptures. Uh, I'm reading through the book of Nehemiah now because I'm really struck by this theme of meaningful work, right? And how uh, characters like Sam Ballard and Tobiah and Geshem always might arrive. It's not against you personally, but just this wider specter of how it happens. So this kind of reading and being mindful of the larger themes and deeper spiritual kind of lessons that you might learn. But also there's this kind of um, mindfulness that both Thurman embodies and I think the figure Jesus embodies. Throughout our travels, no matter where we go throughout our days, whether it's the grocery store or whatever, if we're mindful, if we're deeply connected to the foundations, we can find how there are always these uh, fortuitous links in our lives. And you and I have talked about it often, Matt, like, you know, how, man, nothing that, you know, I find that I do or that we do together seems to be disjointing and like, hmm. whatever is next, we might not always know what's next, but there seems to be this link connected to some kind of deeper meaning and purpose um, that we at least feel summoned to. I think we all who are, you know, we talk on this pod, pod have mercy, but I think all of us, if we can, what we can learn from Thurman, if you seem to read him enough, is that there was never this disjuncture for Thurman. Uh, Thurman was connected deeply with a deep spiritual insight that guided his practical affairs. And I think that's what Thurman does for me. I don't talk about it often, but I, what, I, what, I, what I find is this mindfulness, this meditation, this reading, uh, and how you translate uh, kind of our thought worlds into our actions leads us into whatever we're next to. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I perceive my, my academic calling and my calling in leadership development to be specific calls. They're all connected to me though, however, to a deeper desire to just know who I am and how can I contribute to the spheres of influence I have. And I think uh, how you and I connected was like, man, you know, there's just something that's deeper, something called integrity, something called uh, decency and mm -hmm. honesty that that's worth like going against the grain for. And I think that's what my, that what, what, what how would challenge all of us to do is to, if we can keep ourselves uh, connected to that, that broader integrity and decency and honesty, as we move through the world, everything else will work out fine. That's right. You know, that's, I've been sitting a lot and just looking over that, that section where he talks about these, these fundamental questions. Who am I? What do I want? Mm -hmm. And how do I propose to get what I want? And I see this in our world today. Mm -hmm. It's, he, he's like, you know, you can clearly see your direction um, and, and the discriminating means by which you follow it. But he talks about the, what is the commitment in and for? You can be so fierce and unwavering in the commitment to what they think is before them, that, that that's it, that they'll do all kinds of violence to their fellow brothers and sisters in pursuit of it. All of their tenderness and compassion can harden. A grim vigor of righteous dedication will turn that one into a religious bigot because they make an idol of commitment. I think of all the things in our world that we think that we're committed to, and it's really through a lens, a certain lens, a certain shade of whether it's an, a secular ideological, a partisan party, or whatever it is nowadays, all of these things. And he says, there must be a relation between the way I journey to my goal under the guidance of my commitment to it and the goal itself. It must be constantly revised, refined. It must be under scrutiny. We must not revise the goal because it is hard to achieve. And he makes, I, I just, I read that and I think, this is where we are. We have a culture, and I'm speaking particularly to our Christian people, right? Our Christian folk, where I've said this several times, I don't think Christianity is under attack as much as Christianity is being subverted from within, and that we have mm -hmm. loyalties and commitments to things that are not to the rabbi Jesus. They are to the rabbi Jesus, but we're much like the crowds who followed Jesus. We were there. We were friendly. We wanted to see. We wanted to follow. We wanted to participate. But in the Gospels, the crowds are always sort of that group think. They're, they sort of unbelief. They're sort of a separation. They're, they never really sit at the feet. They're never really the disciples they can turn on a dime. And so they have this sort of yeah, I, I kind of like this guy. I'm going to follow him. but And I just see that so much in society, and I think it has to do with a reflection and a struggle of what is our fundamental commitment? Who are we? What do we want? And how do we propose to get what we want? I think we really got to wrestle with those 
questions, all yeah. of us, yeah. because I think, I think we don't know who we are. The things that we want are not the things we really should desire. And how we propose to get them, now that that's all screwed up, then the way you go about to get these things, these goals that are not really goals we should be pursuing, and you think that's the highest ideal, you'll do any level of violence, any any unloving action, any mean-spirited, unkind, ungentle words, all the things that move us away from who God created us to be. That's just kind of like the temperature of our world right now in our culture. And so I I just, to me, when we think about letting uh, Thurman guide us in this, along with the scriptures, of course, is that the, I don't, I don't think you can preach this enough right now. Mm. Yeah. I think that's quite powerful. I just preached it right now. So I'm just, I'm done. That's right. It seems too that his voice is almost like, like in all of the voices that in our culture right now, there's a sense in which we need a, a real wisdomed, voice that will, because I feel like that there's so many voices that I'm surrounded by, um, that are trying to find the way out that are trying to find the shortest pathway out of the pain, out of the grief, out of the, whatever the tension. And I, and I see, I see Thurman saying in so many ways, particularly in Jesus and the disinherited, where he's like, the point isn't to get out. It's who you are in. You know, and it's mm-hmm. that the spirit that meets us within the pain, not to get us out of it, but to transform us within that, yeah. you know, and I, I still, I'm still waiting for Jesus to rapture me out of stuff, you know, in some way, you know what I mean? And it's this, yeah. it's this, uh, mystical tradition that comes out of the African-American church that I'm like, nope, that, that, uh, this is the Jesus that put you in it to transform it, you know? Yeah, I think it's who we become amidst of wherever we are, right? We're amidst pandemic, we're amidst a range of challenges. But the one thing that can be constant, though, is who we decide to become, right? Questions of identity, John mentions, questions related to, like, what do we want? Do we really want justice? Do we want to really uh, explore issues of mercy toward each other? And then who we become, right? How do we become more... Uh, compassion, humane dwelling place for people. And particularly in these times, I think folks are looking for just that slice of kind of who am I? I think the reason why a lot, a lot of persons are experiencing a lot of despondency right now is because probably for the first time in a lot of persons' lives, they've had to be still long enough to ask those essential questions. Who am I? What do I really want? Hmm. And what kind of world do I want to live in? And so um, Thurman t- seems to challenge each of us to always consider those questions each day. Uh, like the philosophers would say, you should wake up asking questions about your death. Now they're a bit more pessimistic than I am, right? But, <laughs> but questions about like what ultimately is the meaning of our lives. These are, these are uh, kind of perennial religious type of questions we ask anyway. And I think our job is to continue to point people toward asking questions and not always having the answers, but just kind of showing how like Thurman, like Jesus, like King, like Fannie Lou Hamer, like other folks who have pointed us toward ways that we can start going on this journey toward, toward righteousness and justice and equity. Yeah. And um, I think Thurman just kind of really provides us a meditative model of how to kind of slow down a bit, especially in these times. Thurman is the perfect guy for being in a pandemic because he constantly yeah. made room and time to slow down to ask questions, to reflect pensively, and to do what we often don't do anymore. No one takes mm-hmm. a pen anymore and puts it to a pad. And I think now is the time when you, we can sit with Thurman and do things like that again. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, he, he opens the, the, all the disciplines about commitment. You know, first he talks about life and the commitment mm. to life, but then he talks yeah. about time and how when you're born, you know, you cry and you're immediately, you, it's what wish fulfillment is fulfilled. And unfortunately, in our culture, in Western society, especially in America, uh, for for a lot of people who've been in a very fortunate position, that they never grew out of that. We're kind of spiritually still babies, or emotionally, yeah. or 
whatever uh, mentally because whatever we want, we can get it right away. It's like immediately fulfilled. And in a pandemic, you can't do it. This is why everyone wants this to be over. We're done with this. I'm done with a pandemic <laughs> because, all right, I've given enough. I've waited enough. But those normal distractions, the normal yeah. things that pull us away, that help us to to cover up or cope or whatever we want to gloss over dealing with these deep questions in a pandemic you're exposed and so you you, you're either gonna try to figure out how to sit in that in that waiting he talks about how that interval and that interval is created between the wish fulfillment uh, for the wish and then the fulfillment of it he said that's Mm -hmm. actually spiritual formation and when adults grow up and still are like emotionally babies there is a spiritual immaturity that's created. And I, I think that's true of all of us. We're all getting exposed in some ways, the ways that we need to grow. We just don't know how to wait and sit, like you said, and and ask these hard questions. It's scary. Yeah. 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 I also think it's quite striking, right? I think most of these meditations are happening at the height of, I think, Freud's popularity in America during this time. So you have psychoanalysis going around. The existentialist movement starts making a lot of, realms in the 50s and so yeah people like Tillich writing about courage to be so there are a lot of questions looming around this 50s era about questions about meaning and also psychological disruption and this integration a beautiful book by Christopher Christopher Lash investigates this era talks about the culture of narcissism so all this is happening around the same time you got Tillich's courage to be you got Thurman over here reflecting uh, on these issues so his whole term of wish fulfillment Directly out of Freud, right? Yeah, this yeah. notion of wish fulfillment, right? And so I think we, it's important that we understand these contexts about, huh, it's not so much different than now, right? We're at another kind of moment where we're trying to deal with our anxieties, right? And what they mean for us more personally. And how do we begin to disentangle uh, our wishes uh, from uh, society's kind of like structuring of of providing what those things are. And so we have to ask about what greed requires of us. We know what's happening right now. Uh, sad thing happened. UNC Chapel Hill tried to open up last week. Now they got to shut back down because clusters began to do with COVID. And so we're, we're struck now with how do we both move forward while at the same time we really take uh, an assessment of the things that really needs to happen, right? We have to consider uh, what does it mean for us to open things back up in our states and cities while at the same time recognizing that kids are kids, but as well, we as administrators and governments have to think about what kind of things are important right now. And so these are the questions that I think uh, hmm. us as clerics, I think those who uh, are engaged in wider studies are tasked with is how to really analyze our times and kind of create uh, meanings from it. So Freud we talked about, look, so what we do tend to do is just project this stuff elsewhere because we can never get it right. And so that's, that's part of our problem. We like to say everything is out there. I think what, her, what Thurman tried to do is say, yeah, we can all say that we're not gods, but how, but what does it mean for us to say I'm responsible for being the best human I can be? Yeah. And then if I can start there, what other questions does that require of me? What kind of practical responses does that mean for me as well. And so, uh, yeah, so like, I think analyzing our anxieties, both black anxieties, white anxieties, Latino anxieties, anxieties that broad culture, and trying, to, and trying to make decisions about, answer questions about who we are in the world, are really what these times really can help us to do. Because I think coming on the other side of this pandemic, whenever it ends, uh, I think we're gonna be a different society for sure. The question is, who are we gonna be as individuals coming out of yeah. what so do you you start speaking of that i wonder as i just think about the the um where we are it's just the temperature is really high about everything and you talk about looking in other you know looking for someone to, to blame or maybe i'm putting words in the mouth now but what would you say are the things in society as we reflect and we look off so much division polarization Anger. I mean, about wearing a mask, about gathering in church, about even having conversations about race, um, yeah. or, or people seeing things through the, the lenses of their eyes. I preached last week on Lazarus, 
and talked about the connection of forgiveness and restitution. And someone said, you were talking about reparations, weren't you? And I said, well, I was talking about restitution. <laughs> I was talking about, I was talking about what Jesus, well, I was talking about what happened in the story and in the Old Testament, where there's compulsory voluntary restitution. It's all in this book, you know, it's like, it's like everyone is so loaded. We're, what, what do you, what, what, what do you guys, you guys are way smarter than I am. Well, I, if you were sort of going to just define why, why it is that we're here in this and we find ourselves in this place. I think everyone knows we're in this place, yeah. whether you're on the far right, far left, or wherever you are. We know the division, the polarization. What would you tell people? It's like, mm. all right, okay, this is why we find ourselves in this mm. place. Mm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, I think what we see just, just broadly, I think we see it works. Everybody's trying to figure out how to um, not just express, but live into their own interests, right? I mean, um, there are the interests of those who are more vulnerable, especially from the pandemic and from a lot of stuff, but then there are also these other interests. There are university administrators who, by and large, some who may not want to open up but have pressure because they receive a lot of state funding from governments who are caught up in other interests and saying you got to open up until something happens and then you fall back. And so I think the problem is sometimes we, we always want to put uh, the blame on individuals, but we're all caught up in loops of a larger system sometimes, right? Um, then you got, you know, financial considerations from some folk, right? You got uh, people who can't afford to keep their kids. If they keep their kids at home, they can't go to work. Or So all these kind of broader interests that, that happens because we're caught in a larger stratified system in which we live, make all these things fester. And then you always had these identity politic issues going on as well. I don't want to wear a mask because we believe this over here. So you got all these ideologies at play. Uh, you got traditions at play. You also got interest at work. And so I, I just don't think there are any easy answers for folk. And I just think uh, us being willing to listen to all sides, well, at the same time, I think if we could just start from the vantage point of always looking at those who are oppressed most by structures, we'll, we'll have a tendency to make the right decisions yeah. as best we can. Right. Yeah. Uh, but sometimes backing up, doing this analysis, thinking through this stuff, is not always easy. I'm at a, uh, like I said, historically black college and university, and many of the kids who are coming back to our campuses today and this week, um, they're coming to campus because it is a haven for them, right? Yes. They, they fight, they combat food insecurity, they forget ho housing insecurity. And so, many of the ways we, we're opening up because we're trying to care for those populations that really have nowhere else to go, right? While also trying to do the best as it relates to education. Uh, now we have a smaller campus, usually about, I think max 1300 folks or so that may be in, on and off campus or so. But these are all like general things to think through, but, but looking at lessons from UNC, we gotta think about that, whoa, now, we can't control what happens off campus, right? Whenever you bring kids back together, there's parties, there's all kind of other stuff coming on. And so, uh, but the problem is we just got to be careful. We can't, you know, say it's the kid's fault. Well, it's, it's kind of all of our fault, right? Because we're all driven by other kind of factors as well, right? And so I just think trying to be smart through this and trying to be um, considerate and have empathy for others is a challenge for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. what, are you, what are you doing um, as a person to maintain your own sense of groundedness and clarity and spiritual vitality in this time? Yo, know, I think we, we got to that earlier. I think for me, it's very important, especially since I've been away. Yeah. I have to continue my meditative and mindfulness practices. I have to also continue. You and I often talk about how somatic practices yeah. are important as well. Um, my wife and I try to go running. Don't go to uh, get a chance to do some working out some kind of way because I find that like small steps help you. If you can just drink two glasses of water, take a bath, work out, you've had a successful day. That's right. right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you, that's way that, much more than I've accomplished in months. <laughs> but, but think about it. Think about it. If, if awesome. you can just take a bath, right? Yeah. Drink a glass. Two glasses of water. <laughs> if you get two of those, and look. If you get two of those done, you'll be surprised at how that can kind of move you yeah. forward a bit, right? Yeah. And so for me, though, I have to add, you know, for me, it's meditation and reading has to be the first thing I have to do for me to really feel grounded and centered, though, 
is I have to uh, connect with some sense of anchor with him, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, and I find these reading practices across the kind of literature tra- genres and tradition to be helpful because I find, like I was just saying this this morning, as it relates to, to the biblical revelation, I've been reading through the book of Nehemiah, some texts of Paul and Corinthians about unity. All these things connect with me even as I start reading other texts as well because I start seeing threads about yes. at bottom humans have been grappling with their interior lives and in ways to, to find meaning in existence. And so for me, Matt, uh, I just think as long as I'm doing it, and, and you know this personally, when I uh, do my reading and meditation practice first, I'm usually much nicer than I am. <laughs> and if I just go, y'all catch me when I'm not, right? Because <laughs> my tendency is I default, as Matt knows, I default, I default to like resentment and anger. Why? Because of how I came up, right? I always, like, I get tired of being responsible for stuff all the time. Yeah. And so I'm a much nicer person when I'm able to do that first. Uh, my partner agrees as well. Nisi is like, give me a minute, <laughs> let me get myself together. Cleve would be a much nicer person. So <laughs> for me, it's important to like have those practices because if I remain grounded in that way, I tend to have a proper perspective on things. And it's easy to lose that when you're always so busy. And one yeah. thing Matt and I have always shared is we've always done five different things at the same time, which is crazy, uh, but just how our lives have kind of worked out. And so I found if I don't start it out right, I can end up losing it quickly, yeah. and you end up making mistakes uh, of character that you don't want to do. Yeah, yeah. Wow, that's a good word. Yeah. I think the, <clears throat> I do think in this season, and I have, we had uh, Robert on last week, uh, my new therapist, as I like to call him, and not yet officially, but I did my therapies. My first session was last week's podcast. And, okay. And I think this it's a public affair. Yeah, it was. We just did it out in public. It's fine. I'm okay with that. Uh, but I do think you know, like I have not done a good job. You can't be emotionally and spiritually and mentally prepared for this marathon that is all of these things we face that are. Uh, and, and at the same time, not take care of yourself physically. Yeah. Right. You know, I mean, we are so, we are not separated. We are not created that way by no. God. We have a spirit and we have a body. Yes. And um, we have to nurture all those aspects of us. And when we neglect, you know, some people I know, all they do is work out, but they neglect the spiritual or the emotional. And that yeah. leads to a whole new set of, of problems and, and, and obstacles. So... I really like the way you, you talk about the holistic, and I think that's something that would be important for all of us to work on um, and to make sure we pay attention to. Yeah. I think there is that, that, that deep sense of integ- that we were an integrated human being, right? And so that, uh, and I realize that, that me working out, me eating right, me praying, all those things are, all those are, and me praying with you. You know, us yeah. us fighting for time at least once a month to to yeah. to to get on our knees somewhere. I mean, that stuff is so important, and I don't even know why. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just know that I carry less of the burden as if it was up to me. I feel less constricted. I feel less. Yeah. What is that? The, if, if Freud talking about can him that that deep sense of annihilation that is looming. You know that mm-hmm. that then Paul talks about. You know that deep sense that we've been liberated from that. You know, yeah. but we're only and and as my twelve step says, we don't, we I have a daily reprieve of that though. <laughs> you know that mm-hmm. may be a that may be a reality, but I have a daily reprieve based on my spiritual condition. You know, yeah, um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't think we can ignore that. I, I, I'm, I'm so grateful to uh, Lanicia for, yeah. for giving me emotional balance as well. She has the ability to see things that I would never see. Yeah. I was in the city before she came, and I would text her. Before she got here, I was here like about three days or so. And I would text her, I was like, hate it here. Everything's ugly. <laughs> and, she, and then finally she came in the city and she would show me stuff. I was like, oh, I was like, oh. Yeah. I was like, okay. Yeah. You know? Your, your Instagram changed drastically exactly. when she showed up. Oh, yeah. No, I, on Twitter, I noticed you were not in a good place. And then when she got there, she got You're right. exactly. got look at this city. <laughs> They've got I gardens. Like, I think I was on Twitter like, hate these people. Hate them too. <laughs> well, the good news is we don't get a lot of play in Richmond, Virginia, so I think yeah. you're safe. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, so, and that just shows that. I said to say, like, it's important to have those emotional 
connections, both with yeah. the partner, with the friends. That's important for our emotional well-being. Yes. And I think sometimes we we, we got to pay attention to our physical well-being, whatever that means for individuals, however that means. Uh, I think for me, I'm connected to my body. So if I'm not doing something with my body, I feel off, right? Um, struggling, right, to make sure you try to take care of that. But also I think, you know, lastly, people don't recognize, I think, you know, how important it is for us to have our perspective right. I, mean, I think that's why meditation and being mindful is so important because if you have the ability to think more balancedly about things, you're able to kind of get things in tune. Matt and I often text each other in moments of, of kind of deep kind of concern, right? And, and what I love about our relationship is, is our ability to kind of say, hey, have you thought about this perspective though, yeah. right? And we both challenge each other to say, all right, I hear what you're saying. That's valid. Let's think back over your history, right? Where has what you're thinking about right now proven to be true? You know what? You're right. And the same thing he did for me, especially in grad school. Like, you know, I'm like, man, man, forget all this. And um, I never will forget having a friend to take you out somewhere, drink wine, and sulk with you, talk you out of like quitting or good on the quip, you know? You need those kind of people in your life. And having a partner, having a friend to be able to do that. And that emotional well-being can't be taken lightly. Yeah. But beyond that, that, we all have to have our own individual practices. And what's important for me may not work for you. So, for instance, I had my partner, uh, she sees everything. But part of her meditation and reflection and relaxation involves her seeing other things. So I've realized that, for me, I, I need solitude sometimes. So whatever it is for some folks that you need to kind of be replenished, finding ways to get a bit of that each day, I think, is, is important balance this time hmm, now for word. other people it's connecting with others not just via zoom but like talking to them or being in their presence yes now it's been harder for them now i don't need that necessarily but a lot of people do right <laughs> and so for them it makes these these times more harder right because they get energized by being with other people and talking to them in ways and so whatever our individual new, uh, little intricacies about ourselves that that help us i think we got to find time to carve that out amidst the busyness, right? Yes. And make, because everybody makes time for what's important to them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we just do that. Yeah. Well, that's a good word. Yeah. Well, man, it's great seeing you. And, uh, man, it's great seeing y'all too, man. Yeah. And so I, you're, really, I, I really relished that last time we saw each other, man. Oh, we no, we're going to do it when you come back and we need yeah, to, we need to do it great. with, uh, we need to do it with the spouses. Yeah, yeah we yeah, do. We got, we meant to, that's when you do it. Get the spouses together. That'd yeah, be that'd be fun. That'd be great. And we might get in more yeah. trouble or less. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We might get in more trouble. But at least we can go out and play with each other for a little while. You know? I think that'll be fun. I, hey, listen, I'm so uh, happy for you in this new vocational role. And sounds yeah. like you've got some big responsibilities and, you know, got the opportunity to do a lot of pouring into and mentoring and, and teaching. And so I'm just, I'm excited for you. I, I, I look forward to hearing about all the good stuff going on. Yeah, up there. Thank you. Yeah. I appreciate it. Keep me in your, in your thoughts and prayers, guys. It is a lot. And um, but I'm excited right now. Uh, and so, so we'll see how it goes. Mm. You are uniquely um, gifted to do what you've been called to do, Cleve. Oh, yeah. And so it's going to be beautiful just to be on the sidelines watching this unfold. So, yeah, we're cheering you on, brother. We love you. Appreciate it, man. Yeah. You guys keep it up. Stay, stay the strong fight you're going on down there. All right, All right man. you too. We'll take talk care, to you brother. soon. All right. Take All right, care. Take care, guys. All right. Bye. Oh, I love that man. He's a good dude. He is. He's, he is a good dude. That was I. I was such a great. I was thinking back to all of us just sitting around that you, me, and him sitting around that table. Just that was so helpful to me. I think you know. I feel like I keep drawn on that for where I'm at today. You know. You you told me this before. I, I mean, you've known Cleve a, a long time and, mm. and way better than I do. But as I get to know him and spend more time with him, you told me he has a gift of um, there's sort of a prophetic imagination about him. There's a depth yeah. and there's an activism and there's a heart for justice. Yet he's able to um, converse in different yeah. places and spaces yeah. and among different voices in a way that Gosh, which I think is I think is amazingly important. Yes, I mean I think it's vital because yeah. we live in a world now where 
boy, there's all sorts of people that say their thing and they can speak to their constituents constituency. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think about like when I talk about that crowd, I know huh. in coming up is, is this one of the sermons coming up is the, you know, Jairus and then uh, asking oh, Jesus yeah. to heal his daughter. And then uh, the, the woman on the way as he's going there, the woman who has the hemorrhage of blood and she touches him and there's this interaction about the crowds. And so it just stands out to me when I think about this whole concept of group thinking, this illusion of unanimity. If I think this way, and the people I follow on Facebook thinks that way, and my news channel of choice thinks that way, everybody thinks that way. Yes. <laughs> and, it's, it's yeah. not the, and then also you create stereotypes about the enemy yeah. out there. Yeah. And I think, man, the people we need in this world to help bring unity and healing are the people that can converse across the lines in ways that invite people. Um, it doesn't mean you have to be okay with that other right. pl- uh, ideology or platform, but man, when you can, when you could pull people together and have conversation, hear people, and then speak into that, there's a gift to that. There is, there is, it is, there is a gift, and it feels like it's a gift that, like, makes us more human and makes me lay down my defenses and become open to someone or to a way of being that I would normally resist and go, oh, wait, we're, we're in this together, right? And I, that's when I'm with Cleve, I get a deep sense that, one, I feel like in some ways that he is a modern-day um, Howard Thurman in some ways. Mm-hmm. You know, he, has a, he comes out of that prophetic tradition, but he also has not lost his pastoral chops is calling as a pastor you know so when you're with him cleric yes he's a cleric (laughs) back in the day when i used to play dungeons and dragons i remember that was like one of the characters was the cleric cleric. (laughs) wait a minute that was just a little throwaway you play dungeons and dragons uh yeah uh, it's been a long it's been a while oh yeah uh, that is cool back in the day when i guess i don't know when it came out but it's kind of yeah all right. I mean, dude, that was like, we didn't have video games. I know. It wasn't a PlayStation 4 or an Xbox. No, you know. What were you going to do? There was I mean, a we shovel. played basketball. We played wiffle ball and football. And, yeah, Dungeons D&D. and Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> yeah a little D&D. A little D&D. <laughs> you, didn't realize, you didn't realize I had it in me, did you? I, you know, as the onion gets pulled back in the layers, I just there's more about you. I'm like, all right, John Stevens. Well, the longer this pandemic goes, the more I will throw out. And at some point we'll go, oh, he shouldn't have shared that. Yeah. This has been fun. Yeah. I'm John Stevens. And I'm Matt Russell. And this is Pod Have Mercy.